Hey everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz and I'm the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry and also your fine host for these podcasts. A couple weeks ago, we put out a podcast where I had interviewed Amy Spreeman and Michelle Leslie on the role of women in the church. And you might remember we talked about two uh, kind of opposing views on the role of women within uh, the body, within the church, of that, that of complementarianism and that of egalitarianism. And I promised that I would come back and talk about the egalitarian position, and that's what we're going to be doing today. I have uh, someone I've never met before. At the end of it, I indicated that we became friends from this conversation, really just a great conversation, uh, with Rob Basham. He's the pastor of Salem Alliance Church in Salem, Oregon. Uh, he and his wife Jess are, are natives from uh, the East Coast area and, Bo- and ministered in Boston for 12 years. And uh, so you're, you're just going to be, uh, I think, encouraged and challenged by the fact that we are wanting to encourage people to, uh, to think and to listen and to understand the positions of others that might perhaps be different than our own positions. So let's go ahead and jump into that interview right now with Rob Basham. Okay, I have the privilege of having Rob Bacham. I just asked you, Rob, how to pronounce your name, and you put out your fist, and it's like Basham. So I, I like that. <laughs> thanks, thanks so much for being on this podcast. Absolutely, it's a privilege to be here and get to do this with you today. Awesome, yeah. And you are up in the northwest. Yeah, uh, I am in the Pacific Northwest in the capital city of Oregon, Salem, Oregon, and I pastor Salem Mm -hmm. Alliance Church, and uh, I've been here for six, almost seven years uh, in a couple different roles. I was, we have a college here called Reach Training Institute, so I was the director of that for a while while being a preaching pastor and then moved into the lead pastoral role a little over a year ago. Okay, awesome. Well, I I know it's one of the flagship uh, churches in our denomination. And uh, I just really appreciate you taking the time to discuss this. So we, uh, we're going to be talking about the, the role of women in ministry. Um, and there's, there's two major views, the complementarian view and the egalitarian view. I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago on the complementarian view with uh, two women, uh, which was uh, quite fascinating. Um, so we're going to be getting into that. But before, again, you shared a little bit about what you've been doing. Uh, so tell us a little bit more. I, I know you served overseas. Tell us also about your family. And I always like to ask what drives you? What is your what are you passionate most about? Yeah. Um, yeah, I I pastored in the city of Boston and downtown Boston for a couple of years before my family relocated to the mm-hmm. Middle East. So we worked with the Alliance in the Middle East for 12 years, um, had the opportunity to run a non-government organization there and just really okay. enjoyed, enjoyed our time in the Middle East. It was a difficult decision to come back to the States. Um, we have, I'm married, my wife, Jess, uh, has ministered alongside me for a long time. She is consecrated, ordained with the Alliance. Um, and uh, yeah, we have four kids. Two of them are in college now and two are in high school. So we're entering 
uh, kind of a empty nest stage that we're grieving a little bit, um, but have just really enjoyed uh, the opportunity to get to do ministry sometimes here in my current role. I just mm-hmm. sit back and can't believe that I'm yeah. freed up to get to do what I get to do to study God's word, make it come alive, equip leaders, lead, lead a pretty awesome, large staff. And, mm. uh, but your question about what am I most passionate about? You know, just, I, I, I was telling somebody on my staff recently, I feel like all I ever talk about is the kingdom of God, uh, that it's mm. happening here, that we get to be a part of that that we get to just help see it go forth. And um, so I love teaching on that, talking about it. It's why I do what I do. Um, love seeing it in all different environments, whether it just be in roles in the city or with my neighborhood or in the church setting itself. And um, yeah, love love getting to bring the peace of Christ wherever I go. Yeah, I love that. It's interesting. I, I interview most mostly pastors and missionaries sometimes, uh, people who are not in vocational ministry. Uh, but it's interesting when I ask that question, what are you passionate about? It's, it's always seems to be the same thing. I've yet, had, I've yet had someone answer that by saying, I'm passionate about climbing mountains. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I mean, those are passions for a lot of people, but I, I love how we get to hear the heart of, uh, of, of those that we, we interview here. Um, okay, so let, let's talk about um, this this idea of the, the role of women in, in ministry. And again, I know it's something that our denomination has is, is been in, the, in a journey and in, in, uh, really discussing, interacting with each other, with leadership and churches on, on where we should be with this. But again, there's, there's these two categories, complementarianism and egalitarianism. Um, what, how would you define those two terms? Yeah, I would say complementarian is a belief that God created male and female as these complementary expressions of one another. They both reflect the image of God. They reflect his glory. And though they both bear his image fully, uh, this view would say that each does so in kind of a unique and distinct way, which I think a lot of egalitarians would also say is true. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I think the definitions are pretty similar up to this point, but Mm -hmm. complementarians often believe that men and women should have separate roles in marriage, family life, the church elsewhere at times uh, in the complementarian role um, there, even just when you look at Genesis and the fall, there's different understandings of, in any mate, some extremes would say, you know, Eve was to blame. That's part of this. Um, and, but I, I would say, I just think theology is so practical. The practical part would be the complementarian is saying these different roles when embraced and followed will lead to the flourishing of the church and spiritual well-being for believers. Mm-hmm. If, if you follow kind of this idea that there's separate roles that were intended for male and female, where an egalitarian view would say that the Ark of Scripture testifies kind of that men and women are equally created in God's image. They're equally responsible for sin, equally redeemed by the blood of Jesus, uh, equally endowed with the Holy Spirit and gifts from ministry. And that though male and female are different, their expressions of how they handle, how they operate in roles are going to be different. The idea is not sameness, um, that there shouldn't be restriction, gender restrictions on the roles that men and women Mm -hmm. play in the church, the home, society. Um, And again, that these different expressions from males and females in whatever roles they're in will lead to spiritual well-being and the flourishing 
of the church. And so that's how I would kind of define them. Really, yeah. yeah. What what is what is allowable for um, in our discussion for a woman to be engaged in within the realm of ministry? Um, and that's yeah, where that's that's excellent. Point. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I I I, uh, I would agree with everything you've said. You know, in the area of complementarianism, there's there's distinctiveness between male and female, yet they they complement each other, and and so there is a. And it, it, when you said that, I was thinking of this thing. And I would say an egalitarian would agree with that. So, yeah, yeah egalitarian. As an egalitarian, I don't like that complementarians get to have that word. I think mm-hmm. that's a really mm-hmm. important word. And I think that word describes an egalitarian as well, because we're not going yeah. after sameness. We're going after like I, that. I get to sit under women who preach their preaching looks different than mine and different things come alive. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, it, it complements my preaching to the congregation. And so that even the word like, yeah, I wish we had different words. I don't like egalitarian. Yeah, words. what? Yeah, do you, do you have any suggestions, and we can I, see if it can I, go viral? I do not. I do not. Um, <laughs> I'll have to put so, that out to our listeners and see if they can come up with anything. Why do you think this? Oh, and I, I was going to mention too. We talked about this before I recorded that one. One of the things that I want to see happens from this conversation and the previous conversation is that that believers would really think that they would really think through on what they believe. And uh, and also to be okay having these conversations, you know, it's uh, I find myself gun shy any longer posting anything on Facebook because uh, you know I'm I'm just assuming we can have a good conversation, but it becomes rather vitriol. And I think we should have these conversations in a in a healthy way, which I think most of the time does happen. Um, but why is this conversation? Oh, that's my dog barking. <laughs> my dog is barking. Anytime he sees something outside, he has to protect us. I don't know. Can you hear that? That's going to be really distracting. I'll keep that in the podcast just for fun. (laughs) All right. Um, Why is this conversation so important? Yeah. I mean, I think that theology isn't just a conversation. It's living. It's impactful. And so where Mm. where we land on this one is really important um it's more than a viewpoint it it means limiting or releasing people for kingdom ministry and like i said my Mm. passion is to see the kingdom of god go forth it won't be fully realized till jesus returns but we have a role now it's been inaugurated and um so i feel like it it's a big deal it speaks to how people think god views them uh, many would say that this is a justice issue as well as a theological issue. Um, Interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's an important thing to understand. I lead a staff that has an incredible number of powerhouse uh, women on it. And anytime we talk about these things and conversations go <clears throat> difficult in a public settings or whatever, it they walk out pretty wounded, pretty upset yeah. at, all, at all different levels. But we have weeks of pastoral care following those. Um, mm. so I think it is. It's an important conversation to have. Um, we want to have it within a biblical framework, but theology is living and it's impactful. And the way we have this con- con- conversation in public spheres says a lot. And, and it needs to be pastored as we have the conversation in public spheres. Yeah. 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 And this, uh, you probably would agree, this is not a, a core uh, issue 
Um, it's, I mean, what are those tiers again? How do we refer to that? Yeah, everyone the, has the essentials their different and, ways. There's the essential yeah. second tier, or there's the to dive yeah. for, to divide for, yeah. to debate. Um, and because I think uh, many would say it is a justice issue, it's tough to categorize because biblically, theologically, yeah, this isn't, this isn't going to be, this wasn't in the Nicene Creed, um, right? Mm-hmm. So, but it does ascribe worth. Some people would say if they feel like it ascribes mm. worth. And so in, in those situations, it gets tough. And I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not wanting to spend time and I'm not here today to talk about whether or not I think it's a justice issue or whether it should be put into that camp. I want to stay theological. Yeah. Yeah. But that's helpful though. I think that that understand. Yeah. So it is. Yeah. It helps us, I think, to to understand some of the, the driving, uh, it, you know, factors behind that. And this is also one of those issues, um, whether it's less essential than some of the others that you, you either, you, you know, someone, this is probably funny to put it this way. Someone's right. Someone's wrong. Right. And the, the, uh, later when I, um, I'm going to ask you the question later, you know, how do we navigate that? But uh, let, let's get back to that. I don't want to get too much uh, off track. Did you go through an evolution yourself on this where, you know, you kind of lean one way early on and then uh, Honestly, navigate not, it towards this? Not hugely. I didn't go through a huge evolution on this. I'm 45. So I didn't live through some of what people would term the, the feminist movement, uh, in the 70s and 80s, from what I've read historically, that's what prompted much of the dialogue, especially within the evangelical church on this issue. Um, many would would say that kind of the reaction to this that we saw uh, within the Southern Baptist, but then Center for Manhood and Womanhood put out by Grudem and mm-hmm. Piper, which then moved into the academic sphere and really took over the, the Southern Baptist um, and then that made its way to even our council floor for kind of a big, all of a sudden surprising decision in the 90s. Um, you know, I'm too young to remember much mm-hmm. of that. Um, and so I, I personally don't have much of a revolution. I grew up in a home where both my parents were ministers of the gospel. Um, they served with the Alliance in the Philippines for a little while um, before coming back to the States. And my mom's a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would speak all the time at different places. My dad's a leader. They both led in the home. They had this just a great, my father's past, um, but they just had this incredible like ability to minister, do life together, parent together that I just thought was, was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember one time my mom, like me, like thinking like, yeah, it is interesting in our little Alliance church, my dad pastors, there's only men that speak on, on from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. Now, when international workers would come through, we'd hear from men and women. And I remember yeah. my mom saying it, it is tough in the Alliance. It's this weird thing where I'm overseas. I'm the one that's actually in a matriarchal context in the Philippines. I'm the one that's leaving for three days and going up into the mountains to bring the gospel to militant Muslims for the first time. And we get back to the States and there's a lot of places where your dad has to tell my stories. And that seems pretty unfair. And I yeah, mean, it, it's been there. There's been a tension there for sure in our yeah, denomination. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, lately more, more recent days and talking with my mom about it, you know, I see like, yeah, that, that had been a frustrating thing more so than she had ever let on. And, 
And I look back on even just growing up where I really only heard from men. And I've actually had to grieve that. I've written about that a little bit. Mm. I feel like the the beauty and the image of God that women are able to bring that I'm benefiting from now, I missed out so much on Mm -hmm. growing up. Um, But then the first church I pastored in Boston was just a unique Alliance church in that it was a dual denominational church. It was American Baptist and Alliance. And we had women pastors, we had women speak, uh, our board was male, female. And so for me, it wasn't this huge issue until my wife and I walked through the ordination consecration process together. We did everything together. She scored higher on her like Bible exam. She, I'm sure she did better in her interviews. I know she did. The DS told me she did. Um, you know, and then it comes to the deal where the district comes into our home church and we have this ceremony for the two of us. But the focus turns to me and I receive a title of ordination and reverence. And my wife is considered a consecrated woman. And I remember at that moment, like, this seems not right. We just did everything the same. She actually excelled. And I'm being treated really different right now. Now, the Mm -hmm. thing is, we went to the, we went to the nations, you know, a couple months after that. And honestly, within the uh, world of the Alliance, the way things are handled overseas are pretty different. And so um, there, you just don't feel it the same. Um, you both get separate paychecks because you're both valued. You're both like, it's right, just, right. It feels pretty different. Yeah, you, yeah, my wife and I were were missionaries in Europe right. and we, we were viewed equal really. And my parents were missionaries for 40 years in Papua. So I, yeah, I've definitely obser- observed that. Um, so what, uh, you know, it, even in my questions, I, I put down the, you know, these are the complementarian verses, but really, you know, the, those who hold to the egalitarian position would, would also point to these same, same verses. So it's really a matter, in a sense, of interpretation. But, but first, before we talk about that, what are you think some of the, uh, the, the, the strongest passages that, uh, that, that, that make this you know, non-negotiable and that, yeah, this is, this is something, you know, the egalitarian approach to it is, is the biblical one. Yeah. I w- let me start by saying, yeah, you know, you and I had the offline conversation. Cause I think a lot of times when we want to have this, we go to specific verses that complementarians say, there's no way around these verses. And therefore mm-hmm. the conversation is generally around these passages, specific passages um, written to specific churches and instead of looking at the full arc of scripture, and there's certain topics we do this with, I think it's actually dangerous. I think we need to look at, mm. we look at all passages through the whole lens of all of scripture, rather than all of scripture through the lens of maybe two or three passages. And so for me, that's why I said, I would love an opportunity to share why I'm an egalitarian based on scripture, rather than kind of trying to defend based on specific. Right. Verses. Right. So, yeah. yeah or, cor- or correct someone else's. Yeah. Right. Right. I feel like I don't want to come into this on the defensive. And I hope that those, the, the two women that you've interviewed about complementarian don't feel like they have to come in on the defensive though. I think they mm-hmm. need to address the arc of scripture and women that are empowered to be ministers of the gospel throughout the old Testament and new Testament. And I think, the conversation needs to always include that. It can't just be focused on first mm-hmm. and, you know, first, first Corinthians. And so for me, um, because I know most of your listeners are well-versed in the scriptures, I just want to kind of move quick through the examples that for me, 
lead me to an egalitarian view. And I'll start kind of in the Old Testament, but in Micah 6, we see that God speaks to Israel and says to them, I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. I mean, mm. Miriam is a chosen leader of Israel. And then we move Judges 4, we have Deborah. Her role and title in scripture is the same word that's used for Moses. So she's the leader. She has this authority over the entire nation of Israel. She orders Barak, who feels safer with her when she's present, because she's clearly chosen by God. And he, she, she's the one that God is revealing things to. And don't forget, she's married. And I look at how the king and high priest and government rulers appeal to Huldah in 2 Kings 22. And instead of going to the prophet Jeremiah, they go to this woman and she taught and she helped start a renewal uh, among those people. And honestly, Huldah, I, I lived in the Middle East. It's a common name. I think there's a reason it's a common name for women, Arab women, mm. in the Middle East. Um, and in all three of those cases, these women led and guided well, and they had the favor of God on them. Uh, I think in Joel 2, we see that the sons and daughters will prophesy and the spirit will be poured out on both men and women. And we see the fulfillment of that in, in Pentecost. Um, some theologians call Pentecost women's and, and just it's the day of freedom for women as they're fully released to experience these things. And prophecy is for the strengthening, encouragement, and comfort of the church to edify and build up the church. It's a big deal. I think in many of our churches, we don't make it as mm. big a deal as it is, um, but it's there. First Corinthians 14, we'll talk about first Corinthians in a while. First Corinthians, all will prophesy. And there's instructions on how men and women will prophesy. You got Mary, the mother of Jesus, prophesying with the Magnificat. You got Elizabeth prophesying the coming of the Lord. Anna, a prophetess, dedicates Jesus, prophesies in the temple to anyone that'll listen. Martha goes out to meet Jesus after the death of her brother and then says Jesus is the son of God, something that only the spirit of God could reveal to her. Mary, her sister, this is a big one for me. Mary, her sister, is sitting at the feet of Jesus in what is traditionally a male-only space. She's sitting at the feet mm. of the mm. rabbi, which is, this is like the classroom. She's preparing to be a rabbi. She's at the feet of Jesus. And that bothers Martha from the kitchen. That bothers Martha. And Jesus says, it's good that she's right here. She's where she should be. She's being equipped. She's being... Um, and you keep going on. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, the, the cross, Jesus is on the cross and the women can be there without disrupting the authorities. The authorities don't care that the women are there, right? That's just Jewish culture. Mm -hmm. The men have scattered. The male disciples have scattered. <laughs> and yet we see something change after the early church happens. When Paul goes to persecute the church, Saul goes to persecute the church. It says both times that he's on his journey. He's going to round up the men and the women because the mm -hmm. women were all, they were engaged. They were part of the threat. And so I think that's important. Priscilla and Aquila. And we see that they're explaining and correcting the theology of Apollos. Phoebe was an officer of the church. Junia is said to be an apostle of the church. Jesus had women in his inner circle. Much of his funding came from wealthy women. And I think that the first messengers of the gospel from the empty tomb, I mean, depending on how you define apostle, I have a broader definition, mm -hmm. but those who witnessed firsthand Jesus and carried his message, 
if that's your definition, which many, for many it is, um, these women are the first apostles. And so I think throughout scripture, you just see these examples. You have women that are teachers of theology in the New Testament. They are deacons and ministers in the early church. You have examples of women as prophets. You have a woman apostle that is mentioned. I think uh, many would argue that you see even women elders in 1 Timothy 5, 12, or 5, 1 and 2. And so I just think there is this basis throughout the entire arc of scripture for the empowerment of women into all roles of ministry to the mm-hmm. highest levels of leadership. I mean, Deborah, oh my goodness. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. highest level of leadership, the nation of Israel. Um, and so that kind of is my basis. That is a very quick overview of the full arc of scripture, but that's what kind of drives me towards uh, an egalitarian view. And again, I come humbly. I am not an expert. I did not write my dissertation on this topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've read up on it because it's important for me and it's important for the context in which I lead. Um, Certainly. Yeah. 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 Well, that's excellent. I mean, you, you gave a real thorough overview, some of that I've never even thought about. So I really appreciate that. So rather than going through, you know, those, those, uh, you know, each verse that perhaps the complementarians would, would hold to, I, let me ask it this way. Uh, particularly the verses that the complementarians point to the strongest, like, uh, you know, in, in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, where, uh, you know, Paul appeals to, uh, you know, women shouldn't teach and he appeals to creation. You know, Adam was created first and then Eve, but then also Eve sinned first. So you, you have, you know, prior to the fall and then after the fall. And then the Corinthians passage you talked about where, um, you know, women are to are to be silent in the church, as the law says. Um, how, how do you where where are complementarians wrong in those particularly those two big passages? Sure. So, well, I would start by saying that again, as I have shared the egalitarian view, I just want it to under. I want your listeners to understand that I didn't evolve to this view. I see it as a biblical view and Mm -hmm. it's not like I wanted an egalitarian view. So I had to explain a way, come up with some solution to the passages that you're talking about or that's your understanding of scripture or that I've had to do biblical gymnastics. And, and that Mm -hmm. is a term that is so derogatory. Like I just encourage any of your listeners, if you've ever used that, please stop. Mm-hmm. Like it's offensive. And I've had people say you're doing biblical gymnastics so that you can have a view that it's easier to lead in the current culture and climate. And I look at them and say, mm-hmm. like, how dare you? Uh, yeah. I, I could look at you and say, you have an oversimplified literal view of these passages and I could accuse you of things. That's not what I'm mm-hmm. doing. Sure. Here's sure. Why I view these things. And again, we're looking for harmony in scripture. If it's the inerrant word of God, there should be just a consistency throughout scripture. And uh, Kenneth Bailey is, is an author that has informed me a lot on this. He, he ministered in the Middle East for many, many years. He wrote a book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, that many of your listeners, I'm sure, have listened or read. Um, but he wrote an incredible paper on this. And in it, he says he warns that we shouldn't interpret scripture from the lens of some of these individual passages, mainly 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2. But we should view all these passages through the lens of all of scripture. And so with regards to, to these two passages, 1 Timothy, let me tackle that one first. Again, remember, 
This is a letter being written to a specific church. And Paul wrote multiple letters to multiple churches, but there's only two churches that he's having to address what is going on with regards to women. And the first one is he's writing this, this letter to Timothy and in it, like you said, yeah, he goes after um, learning quietness. Okay. Learn Mm -hmm. in a peaceful, tranquil setting. Some translations say silence. I think that's a bad translation. I think the original language is learn in silence, learn in a peaceful, tranquil setting. And let's let's remember, so it's the church of Ephesus. We're going to talk about the historical context and, and cultural context of that city in a second. But let me address first this idea that like Adam was created, then Eve, and Eve is the one that sinned. So when we're talking about headship, the word headship there, I would interpret that word as it means the source. It comes from Adam came from God. Mm-hmm. Eve came from or Eve came from Adam. And it's talking about source, not rulership or authority. There's another word that could have been used if it meant rulership or authority. And so right there, that's there. As far as Eve is to blame for this, I mean, Paul states, I don't know, six or seven times pretty clearly in the book of Romans that it's Adam that brought sin into this world. Mm-hmm. I don't think and, and Adam, both we equal. all die. Yeah. Yes. They're both equally Romans five fourteen. Yeah. So through about six or seven times. So what is Paul just like lying here and truthful? Like, no, there's a consistency in here. So I don't think we can ascribe meaning to that verse without looking at the context of Romans and who mm-hmm. sinned first and the importance of that. So, but let's look at the historical context. So we're we're in a, in Ephesus, right? I don't know if you you ever been to Ephesus. I know you've traveled a lot. I have not. Oh, it's a, oh crazy! The ruins there are still there. That massive, just it's a pretty unbelievable place. And you're walking down, you see the temple, mm. the temple seven, one of the seven wonders of the world. And that temple was to Artemis. You have a female goddess. You have a culture where females rule and reign. To be a man in the temple, you had to be castrated. And women and, and the whole economy is revolving around what is happening in that temple. Let's not forget that you got sick young Timothy trying to keep a church going in this place where that is the culture of the day. And you on top of that, so you've got that's the culture. And so women are coming in as though they're in charge. They're the leaders. They're going to make stuff happen. And there's really a like tearing down of masculinity I add to that mm-hmm. Gnosticism, which is happening and creeping into the church that Paul is continually having to speak to that is also being really pushed by some strong women. Theologians are the ones that are promoting that the most. Um, and there's some weird stuff happening culturally, right? You have those coming in. And I believe here, Paul is saying, I am not permitting any of these theologically ignorant women in Ephesus to teach because they are bringing their synchronistic cultural views into this. And I believe that here he is saying that like that can't happen because that's what the threat to the church is to the local. That's what Timothy is being faced with. I mean, you know, as a person that's been sent to the nations, you're, you're trained to contextualize, to understand what's going on. What are the mm-hmm. hindrances to the gospel and health of, of, of the local church? And I believe that Paul is addressing these things. And he is, he's also saying, and women, you no, this is not the place to bring in that teaching. And you need to learn and you need to learn in leisure. You're not experimenting and thinking out loud in this, in this place here. And so I, 
I think women are used to muscling over men in this culture, um, taking on leadership. That's what was modeled in the Artemis cult. And I think he is having to speak to it. Um, as far as just the learning undisturbed, learning in, in quietness, in submission, um, here, I think that what Paul is going after is he is just, he's saying they still need to learn because they will teach, they will prophesy, they need to, to do these things. Um, but that's how I, I look. I think the Apostle Paul is writing to correct specific local church issues in Ephesus. I don't think he's writing. A and then you would, you would, you would say the same then with Corinth. That, so, so really the, the distinction here is a matter of of writing to the context and and, think, the, and the situation or the scenario versus it being a, a, a broad principle that crosses cultures and contexts. Yes. yes. And I think the mm-hmm. Corinthians passage is, it's a very different historical context. I think there you have mm-hmm. more of a blue collar city with people coming from all these different nations where Greek is the common language. And that one is, it is, it's a little bit different. I think first Corinthians, I think, Verse uh, chapters 11 to 14 should all be read as one. I think that's one part of a letter. I think we've added some stop and goes in different places, but there, I, I believe that those flow together. All of those four, four chapters all deal with orderly worship. And so I think mm-hmm. there Paul is writing and saying, there's this disorder in worship, the way prophecy is happening, the way tongues are happening. And you've got these women that are distracting um, and they are distracting the order of worship, partly because they don't understand what's happening linguistically, whether it be that when they're speaking in Greek, a lot of these women are from other countries. The men have picked up the local common language. The women haven't. And so they're bored out of their minds because they don't know what's going on. And many of them, that's especially the Gentiles, the Jews that might be there, they were never permitted to learn the Torah, to learn these things. And so they're right. And so they're bored. They're talking. That's how I look. I look at that. But I think most people are taking that out of context. The Corinthians one, I, my question for a complementarian is, man, Paul is like very clear. I think it's in chapter 12. He says, men and women, you will prophesy. And prophecy is a super valuable thing within the church. Like he basically ranks prophecy as like, pretty high deal Mm -hmm. higher than, and he says, men and women, you're going to do it. He gives instructions for how to do it. Mm -hmm. And then you're, you're going to say, you think Paul two chapters later is saying, and just kidding, though, I said, women are going to prophesy earlier, (laughs) told you what you have Mm -hmm. to wear. I was just kidding. You need to be silent in church men only. No, he's, I think he's creating there's, if you look, it's inverted parallelism with chapter 11 order of worship. Then we move into to the beauty of love and gifts. And then 14 comes back to worship, to orderly worship. And when you look at it in that way, I think it just makes, at least to me, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really important to, to um, again, I've loved how you've referred to the, the, the arc, the over overarching themes of, of scripture. Uh, but, but if you're going to talk about chapter 14 of Corinthians, look at chapter 12 as well. And, um, and, and get a, a, a fuller picture there. And, so that, that's helpful. And 11 and 13. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah. 11 yeah. To 14, you need to read together. Um, and I, I would say, and I, I can throw you a link to it, but 
one of the main resources is this article by Kenneth Bailey. And I just encourage people, if you, I'm just skimming the top of it. If you want mm-hmm. to understand the egalitarian view more, not because you might move in that direction, but just so that you understand that this isn't biblical gymnastics, but people that have done their mm-hmm. homework, I think it's the best article I found. In fact, a lot of other New Testament scholars that I've read quote Kenneth Bailey in it. And I think his history living in the Middle East has really shaped some, some things. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, that's why, partly because I lived in the Middle East, I resonate even with the stories that mm-hmm. he tells, different things like that. And um, yeah. Okay, well, why don't you send me that link and I'll include okay. that on the website. Sure. Uh, but that's been great. Thank you for for that overview. That's been really helpful. Um, because of time, I don't want to spend too much on some of these other questions here. But, uh, you know, our denomination is is reflecting heavily over this whole thing. There's going to be, I believe, a vote uh, at our council coming up. And not not everybody who listens to this podcast is uh, is aligned. I always joke I have two listeners, one CMA, the other one isn't. Um, but uh, where do you think that's going? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I've talked with numerous leaders in the denomination, but I think mm-hmm. um, that there's agreement that uh, men and women can both be called ordained and consecrated. I think that's mm-hmm. not a biblical discussion. And so I think the polling shows that that should pass as far as women being called pastors. I think that'll pass as well, as long as they're not mm-hmm. the lead pastor, which um, that whole thing is a little weird. We'd that's a whole nother concept, but even the concept of pastor shepherd in scripture, we've built a lot around the verb to shepherd, to pastor, mm-hmm. Still mm-hmm. twice in scripture. Um, and when we look at eldership, I think the qualifications of an elder are pretty different than that of, yeah, just, so there's a lot there, but I, yeah, my, my response to that, sorry to interrupt, but, yeah. um, when, when, when I understand that, uh, you know, the, 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 where this is possibly heading is, uh, for one thing, it's going to be up to the local church to decide, you know, so so some churches can say, no, we're not going to do this. But that that women can be elders and preachers, but not head elder um, or lead pastor. Um, I've often asked the question that isn't preaching a, a highly shepherding role that you're you're shepherding people by presenting the word of God, by founding expositing the word of God, that, that, you know, the person in the pew is looking up to you right now as a, a voice of authority. So I think there's some inconsistency there as I look at, you know, the, the, the movement yeah. towards it. So think, yeah, your thoughts on that. Well, one, I don't think that elders are, it's, the conversation is not moving towards even mentioning the word elders as women. And as you okay. said, you thought maybe elders would be allowed, but the head elder has to be I, I have not, man, yeah. well, it's one of the questions that I've seen, which to, in my mind, we're not talking about lead pastor or elders. They mm-hmm. don't want to have that conversation to protect unity. They're not willing to have that conversation. Okay. Obviously, okay. Context, yeah. I, I agree with you. I'm, I probably my context, that, that's, but that's frustrating, but, but you, you can have a woman preaching. being a lead preacher though, right? Well, she you can, can have a woman preach on a Sunday morning. Yeah. I mean, many Alliance churches have been doing that for years. I don't think there's yeah. anything even prohibits that in our current way. I feel my church is in total compliance with, with where we've been, but the, I would say that, yeah, I agree with you. Preaching could be viewed as a shepherding role. I think it's also a very prophetic ministry. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's an apostolic. I mean, I think it's the full, it's, 
it's teaching as well. So it's, it's got a mixture of all of those. And so some of that just depends on, on how, how you handle those things, you know, I, and so I think that's where we're headed at council. I hope that the conversation goes well. I hope it's pastored well. I hope that people um, are able to go in. And I think we already know where people stand. We've done all this polling. So I hope it doesn't take days and involve filibustering and people going to the mic. I hope it's just a healthy thing. We can make our decision. We can, because the bottom line is, if you are a complementarian leading a, a church and this frustrates you and you're scared that we're moving in a direction, this doesn't affect you at all. You don't have mm-hmm. to change anything. Yeah, you I think that's why people are anything. not. Uh, yeah, at our district conference, there was a, a poll. Uh, you know, you did the, the polling on your phone and then the results would show up on the screen. And I know a lot of guys that are strongly against this. Uh, but no one stood up and voiced it. And I asked one guy, he goes, well, we, we, we're okay. We, we're not going to go this direction. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I agree with you that that's, that's yeah. making it uh, a lot softer, and, you know, know the reaction. Had, you know, many people would say that the Alliance has kind of functioned in an egalitarian movement like yes. for a long yes. time, right? And so I know there's some people that say our church is out of compliance. We have women that we call pastors and we have women on our preaching team. Uh, you're out of compliance. I look, I'm like, no, I, I personally don't think we are. I think if this vote goes a different way though, all of a sudden we could find ourselves out of compliance. Mm, mm, this vote yeah. is a huge deal for us. But I would say though, like, I, this is what I, it's hard for me. The Alliance has functioned fairly egalitarian for a number of years. I pastor a church that is 101 years old. And as you said, it's one of the flagship, it's a larger church. Um, A lot of leaders in our denomination have come out of this church. I've inherited a healthy, unbelievable church. Here's the interesting thing. This church was founded by a woman who started a group, a prayer group together that brought six families together, 22 individuals. This woman had 22 individuals. She sent A.B. Simpson a letter and said, I need a pastor. We've got something going on. Mm. I need a pastor. A.B. Simpson sent her a pastor immediately. Her name was Isabel White. He sent her from (laughs) Nyack, New York, from the Missionary Training Institute. He sent her Isabel White and her husband. That is who planted Mm. the church, started by a woman. First woman sent by A.B. Simpson, or first pastor was a woman sent by A.B. Simpson. This church is still going. Uh, I just think that's a really important thing. When we look at our history, um, Simpson had many quotes Mm. about women in ministry. And I mean, the bottom line is he had teachers at MTI, his training institute, who were women. In fact, the assistant editor of his magazine and his business office were women. He had a vice president of the Christian Alliance before they merged was a woman. Vice president of the Evangelical Missionary Alliance he appointed was a woman. He had an evangelist to the Southern states who was a woman. He had a director of training institute that he set up in North Carolina, a woman. I mean, like it, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. He empowered women into the highest areas of ministry over and over. Isabel White, was preaching at Sam Alliance in 1922. Mm, that's fascinating. Well, how do you how do you encourage unity in this conversation, particularly when you have you know folks that are on polar opposite ends? 
Yeah, I mean, I I think we need to be careful of the language that we use. Um, yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. People of doing biblical gymnastics. I think the other word that really for me is tough is slippery slope. Um, yeah. Because that shows me that when someone says you're entering into a slippery slope, first of all, I said, well, since 1922, we've been on the slope and it doesn't feel that slippery. Um, mm-hmm. We're not changing our stance on marriage. We're not changing. And I look at denominations like Foursquare, Assemblies of God, are we calling them unbiblical or are we saying they've been on a slippery slope for the last mm-hmm. hundred years because they haven't slipped? Um, and so I feel like slippery slope is a tough one. Like if we could not use that or move into this fear, like if we do this, this is going to happen. That doesn't get us anywhere. I think an openness to understanding scripture and seeing, do we see an allowance for this? And we need to reflect on both sides, on both sides. How is our culture influencing our view on this? Yeah, yeah, that, that was actually one of my questions I didn't ask, and you're you're touching on that. Yeah, yeah I, I think from both sides because you have some that are like mm. kind of afraid of the culture, and so they're going to double down, and they're like, "No, this is biblically, this is very, very clear." And yet, those of us that have been trained in contextualization and things like, and are for we want it, we want to embrace our culture. We're for our culture. We're not going to give in. We're a prophetic, a prophetic voice into our culture. Are yeah, we allowing yeah. our culture to influence our views? Right. And so we need to be honest about those questions, but we need to be careful how we have the conversation. And the conversation needs to be pastored. I'm going to be at council with numerous women on my staff. And there will be people that go to the council mic and say things that most people in the room are like, ooh, ooh, and they're daggers, they're arrows towards some mm-hmm. of the women in my church. And so I just want to encourage people, let's have the conversation in a way that is gentle and kind, like our Savior. Let's respond to, to questions with questions so that we can really understand the others. Let's be careful not to put people in a box. Jesus and his disciples were difficult. You couldn't put them in box. You couldn't. Mm-hmm. And so let's just, let's, and let's fight for the unity. I love that. Thank you so much, Rob. I always end with a soft question. Um, if you were interviewing me, what question would you ask me? <laughs> yeah, I guess l- let me preface that. It's really interesting. I, I think mm-hmm. theology is living. And many of my Arab pastor friends in the Middle East were pretty hardcore complementarians because they were blessed with affordable education that was provided by the Southern Baptists. And so uh, they were pretty hardcore complementarians. And yet I would sometimes sit with them and be like, who are you listening to? Who's your favorite preacher? Over and Mm -hmm. over, Arab Alliance pastors would tell me Joyce Meyer. And I'm just like, Mm. what? Like how? This doesn't fit (laughs) any paradigm. Like, no, it's so awesome. She's got this authority. And when she speaks that God just moves in my life. And like, and so I guess one of the questions I would have for you is, um, Are there women preachers that have impacted you that you listen to and have received from? And do you feel like they have become more like men in their preaching or do they bring something Mm -hmm. that has? That's a a great question. Image of God. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had a a conversation with someone yesterday uh, talking about the, you know, he's a complimentarian and I've not not given away at all what I am. I think I've successfully stayed neutral here. Right. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I, I asked him about Corey Tamboom. You know, she so early in my life, she had 
tremendous impact. Um, in fact, we our family has a story with her. My my parents are Dutch, and uh, my grandfather smuggled rationing cards for for Corey Ten Boom and was arrested at his shop uh, at her shop the day after she was arrested and he was in prison. So I've always been fascinated by by her and visited you know the shop and so yeah eric santata uh you know the the difference there is they they didn't pass their churches but they spoke a lot um but as far as um you know i love podcasts that that women lead um i i love ali beth stucky i listen to her a lot she's very very conservative i think she's reformed as well and uh, and she probably would take she does take a complementarian view. Interestingly, yeah, she's got this huge platform as a podcast. So I I think you know we we live with tension there, don't we? If if we're a complementarian, which I am, you know that. Um, and then also um, Alyssa Childers. I don't know if you know her. She's also a very very popular podcast, and and I I love listening to her. And uh, my daughter does as well. So we we love interacting together on some of the things that these gals share so yeah good answer did that answer your question yeah absolutely absolutely yeah i was i was thinking you're going to ask who do i who's the person i love listening to the most and if you had asked that i would say charles spurgeon i uh i read i read his sermons every morning as part of my devotions and and i wonder if he was where where was his position on this do you know i i've not read anything i don't i don't know I don't. Know. Yeah, I'll, we'll need to look that up. Yeah. Rob, thank you so much. You did a, a great job articulating. Yeah, this was awesome. Yeah, blessings on you and all your listeners. Thank you. Appreciate both of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot more than that. <laughs> Take care. Thanks. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments that you want to make, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And if you also want to go to the podcast site, www.beforeyouquit.us, there are 101 other episodes there. Man, I never made a big deal about the 100th episode. I should have done that. But anyway, until then, until our next podcast, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.